Zurich, Switzerland, was the beautiful location of last week's CoinGeek conference, bringing together people from around the world, both in person and online. Among them, an unashamed Bitcoin skeptic, known for his robust views on the financial markets and cryptocurrency. Noriel Rubini is a professor of economics at New York University's Stern School of Business and CEO of the economic consultancy firm Rubini Macro Associates. I was delighted to be able to speak to him for this series after his appearance at the conference. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Professor Rubini, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, great pleasure being with you. Thank you. Let me start off by asking, if I may, uh, you're a big critic of cryptocurrencies, and uh, many supporters of Bitcoin SV would agree with you on many of the points. To what extent do you accept a distinction between Bitcoin SV and BTC, Bitcoin, and other cryptocurrencies? Well, first of all, I would say that I'm not familiar with the details of uh, uh, BSV, and uh, and therefore I don't want to specifically speak about that. Uh, I've made a, a wide range of criticism on the fact that uh, uh, pretty much Bitcoin, but uh, pretty much any other cryptocurrency I know of, uh, is not a currency, is not a unit of account, is not a scalable means of payment widely used, is not a stable store of value, is not a single numerator, is not something can be used to price uh, assets and liabilities and so on. And those kind of criticism, I think, uh, apply to a wide range of stuff that people call cryptocurrencies. I also argue that uh, most of these things are not even assets because typically stocks, bonds, loans, real estate give you income or some services. Commodity gives you services. Gold is used in industry. Uh, gold is... Uh, uh, you know, jewelry, gold is a stable store of value, a hedge against tail risk of various sorts, while Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are, don't have any income, they have no utility, they are not used as jewelry, uh, they are unstable, and therefore they don't have any fundamental value, and with proof of work, they hog so much energy that then uh, they're environmentally dangerous, so actually you should impose a carbon tax on it, and their value will be negative. So I think it's, it's a broad range of criticism, but uh, I don't want to speak specifically about the BSV that I'm not as familiar of. One specific I could pick up is the slow transaction speed or, the, or the, the limited number of transactions that BTC can do. Well, that is different on Bitcoin SV. 50,000 transactions per second were demonstrated a couple of days ago. So there are significant sort of practical and factual differences there and the emphasis within bitcoin sv on entrepreneurship and utility creating something that uh, is useful for something rather than for speculation i would have thought goes with the grain of many of your arguments well you know on on that specific point that has to do with scalability you know i usually go back to the point that was made by uh, vitalik buterin uh, the creator of uh, Ethereum about uh, the inconsistent trinity. He said in crypto, you cannot have at the same time something that is really decentralized, that is uh, scalable and is also secure. Say traditional financial systems, legacy, 
are centralized, we centralize institutions, banks, and others, but they are scalable. You can do tons of transactions, and they are secure because, you know, I've often had somebody, of course, uh, stealing my credit card, uh, you know, number, but I call with one phone call, uh, they block the transaction, they send me a new one, and my deposits are guaranteed. So I've never lost a penny, so I feel secure, as opposed to a situation which somebody can steal my a private key and my money is gone for good, for example. So uh, a lot of crypto, first of all, is not uh, is not secure. Proof of work, traditionally, the way it was done with uh, Bitcoin, BTC, was not scalable because of block size. But the reason why I understand they kept the block size small was to allow what they pretended to be decentralization by having at least a system where, you know, anybody was even a a computer at home can maybe verify the transaction. And I think that any solution, and I don't want to go into the technicality of BSV, that, that then achieves scalability by then increasing significantly block size leads uh, by definition to a system that is not anymore decentralized because you can have only a small number of large oligopolistic players that are verifying transactions. And therefore, uh, you lose, uh, first of all, the decentralization, but you also lose the security because in the case of Bitcoin BTC, proof of work, 80% of the mining is done first by an oligopoly and an oligopoly in countries that have no rule of law and uh, no freedom like China, Belarus and Russia. And it's becoming a national security problem for the United States. So uh, something has to give in. There is no free lunch the way Vitalik Buterin points it. So if you achieve scalability by having uh, less decentralization and having less security, then uh, you're back to square one. You have a problem. Right. Well, yeah, as you say, let's not get into the, the technology here. But I, I'm just wondering, well, as an economist, I would have thought you must be interested in the idea of a currency that in principle runs itself with a fixed supply of money. I mean, is that something new in the history of money? Uh, first of all, uh, any economist would tell you that if there was a currency that has a, a fixed supply in the limit, that's not a good currency because uh, a currency, the money supply, has to increase by the number of transactions, GDP, time your inflation target. So say growth maybe is 2%, inflation target 2%, so nominal uh, money has to increase by... 4% per year in order to maintain that price stability for given velocity. So anything like Bitcoin BTC that reaches in the limit at 21 million, leaving aside the scalability, leads to price deflation. Because by definition, if this money supply is given and you have to grow the economy, then the price level has to fall. So it leads to deflation and deflation leads to debt deflation, the real value of uh, liability rises. That was the problem of any fixed exchange regime or even system like the gold standard that collapsed during the Great Depression and led to people go off gold. So something in fixed uh, money supply, first of all, doesn't make sense. It has to be something that rises by nominal GDP target. Two, most of these uh, cryptocurrencies uh, are not in fixed supply and actually they're debased every day. Their supply can be increased at will by the creators, by the whales, by the founders, and so on. So people worry about the basement of fiat currency, 
but thousands of these cryptocurrencies, pseudocurrencies, have been debased at the wheel uh, by ICOs that were scammed, where they issue money, printed this token, took the money, ran to the Caribbean, buy themselves yachts and villas, and disappear. There have been criminal activities. So, so, so this idea that you know these things are stable uh, monies uh, has not been proven in any way or form yet. Certainly with ICOs, those are by definition uh, tokens that are issued at the whim of a founder. Yeah. But yeah. I, think, uh, I think we do know that with Bitcoin, that can't happen. And, uh, but then I mean, that supply limit implies long-term deflation. If Bitcoin was becoming the unit of account, the means of payment, then you're going to have deflation for the long term. And that uh, leads to debt deflation. There's a huge problem, as we know. Um, because the real value of your nominal debt goes up over time and people go bankrupt. So you need something. If you want to design it in principle, you have to design something where in the long run, the supply of that money increases by your nominal GDP target. But does that reduce the options to ones in which governments are in control of currencies then? Uh, in, In my view... Governments that create currencies that are stable with low inflation have credibility and in advanced economies where inflation is low, that's why nobody has switched to cryptocurrencies because there is no need for it. You can get payments and the payments are actually becoming cheaper. Yeah, there are transaction costs involved, but now there is more competition from fintech and some of those transaction costs come from the fact that we need to have regulation and supervision of the banks. We need some MAL, we need some KYC. Uh, We need the deposit guarantees, you know. I'd rather pay a small fee to my bank uh, for being safe, so that if somebody gets my bank account or credit card, with one phone call, I stop it, I get a new one, and I'm made full. That's a small price insurance to pay for having that system that is secure. We pay for it, but I'd rather pay for that. In a system like cryptocurrencies, when there is no form of deposit insurance and they say transaction costs are uh, low and they are not low for most of them are high. And then somebody can uh, steal your private key and then your money is gone for good and there is no recurse. That's a risk I would never take. I can have my entire wealth wiped out, not just my cash balance, my wealth. Why would I want to do that? I'd rather pay a small fee with legacy financial system where there are trusted institutions I can trust. Well, Dr. Wright has always made a big point uh, that Bitcoin is not anonymous, it's pseudonymous. And the recovery by the FBI, uh, the instigation of the Department of Justice this week of some several millions by tracing through the BTC system, I think has in a way proved his point on that, would you say? I agree on that. Actually, law enforcement prefers people using uh, Bitcoin rather than offshore financial center for a variety of criminal activity because, while you know, first of all, everything is on a public ledger, and then, uh, while you may not know uh, who's behind that uh, public key, you can get it and find what's the private keys and nab them, and has happened over and over again. But then some people say we're going to create, uh, you know. Cryptocurrencies are totally anonymous, totally, like Monero and others. But the public authority have already said, we're not going to accept that. That's not going to be acceptable and legal. I mean, Steve Mnuchin, 
was the secretary of the treasury of Trump. He's not a communist, he's not a Bolshevik, he's a right winger. He said, we cannot let Bitcoin or crypto to become the next Swiss bank account where a criminal, a terrorist, a drug dealer, a human trafficker, and you name it, or a tax evader is using it to do something criminal. And therefore, right now, and there's been already tons of statements by the G7, G20, this morning by the BIS, we know there'll be a crackdown. We need clear MAL and KYC. Otherwise, we go a law of the jungle. And therefore, there'll be a concerted agreement like they've done for offshore financial center that the G20 and the OECD, the 37 largest economy in the world, 95% of global GDP, are going to crack down against this illegality. And once you crack down and these things need to be regulated like banks, they'll have the same compliance cost and transaction cost as banks. Yesterday, a CFTC commissioner made a speech when he spoke about DeFi, the centralized finance, and he said two things. He said, first of all, the centralized finance is totally illegal. It goes against all our security laws. Second, we cannot have a system where you have financial institutions that are regulated compared with shadow financial institutions that are not regulated because there is a competition disadvantage, and that will lead banks either to go into risky activities to compete with those that are not regulated, or we have to regulate those who are not unregulated. And the world is going to be one in which whether you are a traditional bank or a fintech financial institution or a crypto or a blockchain, you have to have the same regulation. There cannot be a free ride. Everybody has to accept the same MAL and KYC. Once that happens, you have transaction costs similar to those of traditional banks. And the only thing we can hope is that there, there is more competition in financial services with fintech. There's nothing to do with crypto and blockchain. Then transaction costs fall. Have they fallen, for example, in uh, traditional financial markets, in equity markets, BIDAS spreads have fallen, transaction costs are low because there is competition. That's what's going to, regulation and competition is the future. But you cannot free ride. And crypto wants to free ride and say, we don't want any regulation. We don't want governments. We don't want institution. That's anarchy. It's the law of the jungle. It's as the commissioner said, is Opsian world, the law of the jungle. And we cannot live in a world that is the law of the jungle. At the moment, if you go to an exchange and you want to buy some Bitcoin, you have to do KYC already. Uh, exchanges that are exchanges in the United States that are subject to U.S. regulation, we have a big license and so on. But there are plenty of them all over the world that they don't have those things. And therefore, there are massive leaks in the system that are being used by criminals. Isn't that just a job for law enforcement and governments to sort that out, though? Well, there'll be an agreement that has to be international, that it doesn't matter where you're located, where you're in exchange, then you have to do MIL, KUSC, and you can't have a system of DeFi, decentralized finance, where you pretend there is no intermediary. The pretense is just done peer-to-peer without an intermediary. There is somebody. There is somebody there who created the protocols, and those protocols actually generated through some token, some money. So it's their own responsibility to make sure that there is going to be appropriate MLKYC even there. That's why the commissioner said, as it stands, DeFi right now, it's illegal. We cannot allow a system that does not have any MLKYC, one in which there are not intermediaries that are properly regulated. Today, the Basel Committee of the BIS 
said that if any financial institution wants to hold any crypto assets, they need to have capital at the highest level of risk because crypto assets are the most speculative and volatile form of asset trading. So the capital ratio will be 100%, the highest one. Rightly so. Once that happens, the transaction cost and the cost of compliance are going to be such that the appeal of lots of this stuff is going to completely fizzle out because they're going to be regulated the way they should be regulated, as risky assets. All of the 37 OECD countries are going to go by the same regulation, 95% of global GDP. And the small little islands who are trying to free ride are going to be cracked down the way they cracked down against illegal uh, offshore financial center in the Caribbean. Everything is going to enter within a regulatory framework. And is that the way that Bitcoin is going to survive then? Because you've described it as a bubble, almost implying that it, it wouldn't be with us in a, in a while. Well, Bitcoin in the specific, in my view, is a bubble, doesn't have an intrinsic value. And given proof of work is such an energy hog that eventually people are going to impose a carbon tax. And once that happens, the value of it is going to it's going to collapse, as I said, doesn't have income, doesn't have a utility, it's not a means of payment, it's not scalable, it's not secure, you name it. So these things, most of those crypto pseudo-currencies have already lost 99% of their value because they were scammed in the first place. Eventually, regulation implies that the value of these things is going gonna, is gonna to fall sharply. You know, the other day when the FBI recovered some of that money from the ransomware, from the, from the colonial pipeline, just as a reaction to that and nothing to do, uh, Bitcoin fell by 7% uh, in value. And the other day, the FBI came up with the news that they had uh, this anonymous uh, uh, app that criminals around the world were using for doing illegal stuff. They nabbed them and they, uh, they, they arrested 800 people all over the world. And once they start to do the same thing to regulate crypto and the criminal activity, again, lots of the illegal stuff is going to be done through crypto, is going to also collapse in value, and the price of these assets is going to fall sharply. Uh, so it'll be regulated out of existence in 10 years' time? Uh, either out of existence or out of something that if it has any value has to compete with traditional banks and with fintech. And 99% of fintech has nothing to do with crypto or blockchain. It's AI, machine learning, big data, IoT, and 5G, and it's a centralized. Because you need a system that aggregate information and institutions that provide safety that are credible. I don't believe in a world of the jungle where there is anarchy, there is no institution, there is no government, there is no corporation, there is no bank. Of course, you need regulation, you need uh, credibility, you need reputation, but you build it by having institutions. So the whole concept of decentralized finance is just like living in anarchy. You need ways of enforcing contracts. Even the idea of smart contracts is nonsense. They're not contract and they're not smart unless they can be enforced by a court. It cannot be just a machine or technology enforces contract. You need legal institutions, need lawyers, law, law firms. All these things are the base of society, institution. The reason why we have institutions, public and private, that have reputation and credibility. Thank you so much, Professor. And I'm interested that a lot of what you said at the end there could have come out of the mouth of uh, Dr. Craig Wright in terms of uh, bringing the law to bear on these things and, and bringing institutions to bear uh, within this world, just like any other part of society. We agree on the rule of law, certainly on that one. Thank you.
Thanks for your interest. Thank you and goodbye for now. Cheers. Bye. Thanks very much to Professor Noriel Rabini. Professor Rabini was taking part in the CoinGeek conference in Zurich last week, although from his home in the States. Next week, my guest will also be somebody who is appearing at the conference, but actually in person, so I was able to be in the same room as her, which was quite a novelty. That's Eileen Brown, the British journalist, who can put the world of Bitcoin SV into the context of her reporting on the wider crypto scene and her long experience of reporting on tech generally. That's Eileen Brown with me on CoinGeek Conversations next week. Until then, from me, Charles Miller, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.